Hello, my name is Brandon Reich, and you are listening to The Graphic Sound. Sound. Episode 6 with Jesse Bryan. I think this episode might be one of my favorites. I just got done editing it and listening back to the conversation that I had with Jesse Bryan a little while back. It was so great for me. So I think what's cool about this is even this conversation that you're about to hear Jesse and I have, it itself is a pretty poignant moment for me. And there's a lot of core things that come out in this conversation. So it's really neat for you to get to hear that about me because I really like hearing it back about myself because it reminds me of some of the things that are really important to me. And I think some things that are easy to forget. So Jesse Bryan is a filmmaker. He has turned his filmmaking into an agency called Belief Agency. They are now a full service marketing agency with art direction and copywriting and everything. So a whole in-house deal, but it's based from a filmmaker's perspective. And I've learned that I really appreciate filmmakers. I've learned to really um, admire filmmakers and I think I have really good conversations with filmmakers because the core of what they do is all about the story and it's all about the emotion beneath all of that. And I think a lot of times for graphic designers, it takes a while before we start realizing that what we do can be all about the story underneath and it can be all about the emotion and core underneath. And really for me, uh, the whole branding aspect of what I do and truly, truly understanding the core of the brand, I don't even know that that light bulb really went off for me until the first time I heard Jesse Bryan speak. So at Creative Works 2014, we both spoke And I remember sitting and watching Jesse's talk from the side of the stage. Jesse's main title was, Everything Starts With Belief. And he said belief so many times, it stuck in my head. And I really don't think that I understood what he was trying to say until a little bit after his talk where the light bulb really went off because it forced me to change my whole entire thinking about why I create what I create. As designers, we just want to make things look cool. And we've been able to have a career or we've been able to get by on our only goal being let's make things look cool. Well, recently I've cared less about making things look cool and I know that I can just make things look cool easily. But if I know more about the story and I know more about the emotion behind the company or the band or whoever I'm creating for, I'm going to have a much better and a much deeper connection with whatever marks or graphics that I create. But these days, I really want to understand the story. The cool thing that I make in representation of the story is something I learned to do throughout the beginning of my career. I know how to make things look cool now. I got that. But what I want to do more of is understand the story behind it. So Jesse being a filmmaker, being so in tune with the emotion behind this, what he does with a lot of his clients is he has an initial belief session is what he calls it, where he sits the company down and he really gets to the core of who they are and why they do what they do. Every now and then he'll do it with individuals. After I met him and we talked, we kind of mentioned, you know, maybe I could 
go through a belief session with them because me being a one-person company or a one-person brand, it's less about what I want my company to be and more just very personal about me and why I do what I do and what I'm trying to you know, accomplish in my life. So I've never been to therapy. I think that this time I sat down with Jesse. Now, Jesse also has a copywriter named Heather and he has an art director named Ryan Clark who is gonna be on an episode coming soon. Ryan Clark from Invisible Creature, Demon Hunter, all that stuff, Training for Utopia. Uh, a designer named Matt Naylor, an old friend named Jonathan Dunn. He has this big team of people that a lot of these people I've known for a long time through the music industry and through my record label. So me, Ryan, and Heather sat down with Jesse and we went through my whole story and we went through the core of who I am and why I do what I do. And this interview is immediately after we just got done with that belief session. So that belief session rocked my world. I was so flattered to have Ryan and Jesse and Heather sit there, talk about stuff that was so personal to me and care so much about me and my story and what I was trying to do that it really just rocked me. So when, when I start out this interview here, I'm really just digesting all of it and really just taking in all of what happened. But I can tell you, and I've given you clues at the end of each one of these episodes that the core of me and what I care about most can be summed up in one sentence, don't let them kill your soul. And everything that I do is me trying to keep my own soul intact, is me trying to help keep your soul intact, to help remind you that you have to fight to keep that soul intact. And this is the core belief and the core value that pushes me through just about everything I do. I will not let you kill my soul. I will not let a boss kill my soul. I will not let an art director kill my soul. I will not let the government or whatever you want to put into it, America, whatever it is, I will not let you kill my soul. I'm 33 years old now and I've maintained that. And I think my soul is pretty much intact. It may have been chipped away from time to time throughout my life, but for the most part, my soul is intact. So what Jesse taught me, the core that we extracted from who I am was don't let them kill your soul. So this conversation is, it's rather emotional, but man, we get to some really cool things. And I think that there's so many nuggets on this conversation that I'm so excited for you to hear because a lot of you designers need to start shifting your view to the brand and the story and the emotion underneath. Because you're gonna get to a point when you know how to use the tools. You're gonna get to the point where you know how to make things look awesome but you're gonna start lacking the story underneath and you're gonna wanna learn how to have a good story underneath all of that awesome work as well. Awesome work works for a while, but what you really want is awesome work with a really great sentiment behind it. So that's what I've learned with Jesse and that's the light bulb that Jesse helped make go off over, over my head. This conversation has so many of those really great nuggets. You get to learn a little bit more about me and who I am and why I do what I do. And you get to have Jesse teach you those core things. I think in this next hour or whatever episode it is, you're gonna get so many really good notes. And I think really good sound bites and quotes or whatever you wanna call them that are gonna stick in your head. And I think this is probably one of my favorite episodes so far, just editing all of them and going back through them. Um, this one really resonates with me. I think this is one that I'm probably going to listen to over and over again. So you get to hear Jesse and I have a discussion right after the belief session. So without further ado, my great discussion with Jesse Bryan. 
Just a quick note, I wanted to warn you that there are a few swear words in this episode. Um, I've been thinking about what I want to do about censoring language on the episode, and I guess I've decided I really don't care. I want you to hear the discussion. I want you to hear the conversation in an unedited form, and I don't want to try to take anything out that might kill the flow of the whole entire thing. So if you're offended by that sort of thing, there's not that many, but if you're offended by that sort of thing, this is your fair warning. Now, on with my conversation with Jesse Bryan. So we're here, and we just got done with a big branding sesh um, at Belief Agency in Seattle with Jesse. And we're kind of unpacking the stuff. I just got, Jesse just basically destroyed me with all this information. And I'm trying to unpack a lot of information that Jesse just told me. And I am in an absorbent like vibe at the moment. So I'm kind of on cloud nine at the moment just because there's this clarity that I haven't had in a while. So all this clarity just came through and I'm trying to figure out what to do with this information. But anyways, Jesse, thanks. Sure. <laughs> thanks for taking sure. my life and my career and helping me unpack it into some actionable steps and, and really just being able to give yourself appropriate name. Not, and I don't mean that literally. I'm saying able to identify who you are and why you're doing what you're doing is so huge that it gives me this clarity for where I'm going now. And I wish I could tell you, like, tell you exactly, okay, now that you told me this, this is what I'm going to do. I just don't have it yet because it's like the numbers are calculating in my head right now and it's, and it's all starting to make sense. Mm-hmm. And like I would tell you with any brand, I I try to emphasize with clients at least, like anybody who tells you your brand's gonna be dialed tomorrow is lying to you. Yeah. Ongoing process. A year from now you'll go, Oh, I think I'm starting to get it. Like I think I'm starting to, you know, explain it. Cause it's a brand is just a relationship, right? Yeah. Like, can you explain a person you've met in five minutes? like what they should do and how they should talk and all right. that. Absolutely not. So like you'll find that a year from now you're going to be able to have much better words than you even had today. It's just trying to get the ball rolling. Well, I said in the intro that this was, you know, I just had this brand meeting. Um, Jesse calls it a belief session. And so basically what happened is I've got to a point in my career where I really want to, I, I could say pivot, but I really want to define what it is that I actually am and exactly what I'm doing. So before everything got too stale, and yes, as you guys have heard, I've been burnt out for a while. But before that burnout becomes like extremely detrimental, which it's not really detrimental yet, I wanted to um, take action and be proactive about it and say, okay, help me now figure out where I got to pivot this thing. Help me now figure out what I got to do with my career to get me through the next 10 years and to have to give me more clarity. So that's what Jesse and I and Ryan and Heather just got done doing here at Belief Agency is just sat down and broke down what it was. And I actually got choked up and I don't get choked up about anything. But when I was able to find the heart of why I do what I do, I realized where it came from. And it came from something, you know, a very young version of me. And that was heavy. And like, but I don't think I really understood that. <laughs> you know, like I've done talks where I kind of represented this nine-year-old Brandon and talked about how he's really the motivator. I want to make sure he's happy. He wants to be an artist for a living. I want to make sure he's happy and totally stoked about what 30-something-year-old Brandon's doing. So we got back to that and I uncovered that old relic and I realized that that's really what this was. So, I mean, have you, you've done a producer, you said. You've never really done a, a designer like me or... I haven't done a designer yet. Most of my people that I would probably hang out with is more filmmakers. So more filmmakers. But what's funny is I also did 
a banker and it was fascinating. Really? Yeah. Just trying to help her. And she was, she was awesome. And, but it, the emotional side of things, I see that way more when you're one-on-one. Cause when you're talking about somebody's job, like, like for you, like this is your life, yeah. right? Like if I'm talking to somebody about, you know, how do we communicate what's at the core of your company? Yeah. It's an emotional thing. You start a company, it's difficult and you yeah. keep it running. When you start to be like for the person, it's totally different. It's like, this is the thing that motivates everything you do. Yeah. How do we communicate that as clearly as we can and build our brand off of that truth as opposed to building our brand off of something, I don't know, simple or like like aesthetics or something. It's like like if we're trying to build our brands off of these like of your core belief and your values, and then how do we take action forward from there? If it's really a core belief, it has to actually cost you something. You can't say that this is a belief or a value; it doesn't cost me anything. That's the, there's no risk there, right? And so, yeah. if you're trying to find what that is for human beings, like for individuals, it's striking a chord in one way. If you're actually getting close, yeah. right? If there's no emotion at all, it's like okay, we well, don't really give a shit about this. Yeah. And if you don't care about it, then why should anybody else? Yeah. Right. And so, when you started talking about yourself as a little boy, I was like, great, we're getting somewhere interesting, we're getting somewhere important, and we're getting somewhere that, when we talk about from a differentiation standpoint of building a brand, that really is your differentiation. Yeah. Because other people could hear your story and go, I want to copy that. Or they can copy your font, they can copy your colors, whatever. They can't copy that. Yeah. They can't copy like, my story. They weren't there. Right? right. And that didn't shape everything about them. Yeah. Right. And so, that's the tricky part about demons, right? Is demons are scary, but they also are, are demons from growing up and everything's like that. And the things that happen is also completely shape who we are. And that is completely true for me. Yeah. Right. Just as a human being, I think you, Ryan, and I all have a chip on our shoulder. Yeah. Right. And so a valuable a, chip, it seems like. Right. And so for me, my story was different than yours in that I'm hardcore dyslexic. Mm-hmm. And so as a kid, in the like, you know, early nineties, whenever this would have been, because I graduated high school in ninety nine. When I was in middle school when I got diagnosed, they didn't know what to do with it. And so I had to stay after and do these classes with severely handicapped children. Right. So just throwing you in the same Right. Yeah, yeah. totally. And and it gave me the stigma. So what I would do is I'd walk out the back door at middle school, walk like I'm going home, go around the block, wow, come back to school. Because I have this shame, and I just it pounded in my head. You're stupid, mm-hmm. right? You're stupid. Nobody thinks you're ever going to do anything with your life. You're screwed. And then, of course, from there forward, I got C's and D's my whole life. Yeah. And so, even now, as you know, we're doing bigger and bigger stuff. I'm still always feel like I told my wife I was like the other day. I was like, she's like, "What's driving?" I was like, "I think everybody's expecting me to fail." Yeah. <laughs> and they think I'm stupid and fuck them. Yeah. Totally. And she's like, you know, nobody's saying that. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know how to escape. Yeah, probably. I don't know. But I don't, I, how do you erase that? Yeah. Like, how do you erase the, you can't, the piece? you can't erase it. You just have to own it and you <laughs> use it as a motivator. Yeah. yeah. I don't know how people would do it without it. And yeah. so, yeah, it'd be great. Like in Malcolm Gladwell's book, you know, David Goliath. Oh, okay. David. David Goliath, he talks about how, like, you know, when you're a kid, like, you know, if your dad or if you're your mentor or whatever, you look at these people in front of you and you go, man, I hope nothing bad ever happens to them. Mm-hmm. And then in his book, the whole like kind of thesis of it is that it's like, those are the things that made them great at what they ended up doing later on. Yeah. Right. Of course, we want to avoid pain. And of course, but that's how do you do that? Right. It ends up being almost like your, your superpower later on. But it's your still origin sucks. story. Yeah. yeah, it still sucks. Yeah. So when you were going there, that's when I was like, okay, great, we have something special. Yeah. And that's why that's when we turned and I said, I think that that's when I started making those comments about 
I think what you're doing is bigger than fashion. I think what you're doing is bigger than this and bigger than products and bigger than all this stuff that maybe we started at. Yeah. Because where you're going with this is much larger than anything I think maybe you even thought you were going to do when you walked in the door. Yeah. And I realize my goal has never been to help make people be better graphic designers. It's just not that. It's about helping them find the creativity inside of themselves and to be able to know that it is a fight and they have to push and to stay motivated to do that stuff. It's funny that every time I will try to talk about graphic design, it's never about design. And, you know, so I'm 32 now, so it's interesting what happens through a graphic designer's career. So, you know, assuming that we have an audience that's mostly graphic designers, not everybody is going to get to the point where they realize how graphic design or how it can be so much about so much more than just the graphics and just the stuff. Like there's a lot of graphic designers that really don't even understand what a brand actually is. And I've been in an interesting phase for the last three or four years where when I started understanding building a brand, that's the thing that really entices me because yeah, I can make you a great logo. I promise you I can make you a great logo, but that's not the thing. What I want to be able to create is this whole entire ecosystem, this whole entire environment. I want you to feel immersed inside the brand, and I also want you to feel immersed inside the emotion of the brand. So for me, I think I can create that with graphics. I think there are visual ways, visual cues to create that sort of thing. But it, you know, and even Mad Men, watching Don Draper just like stare into somebody's soul, that entices me so much to be like, I think I can do this. And if I do a talk, it's going to be about this. And it's not, I mean, I can get into all the nuance of graphic design and how to do things and workflow. And I totally will. And I've had a previous episode that was my entire process. Like people do want to hear that. Mm -hmm. But in the same way that I'm teaching you how to use the pen tool inside Illustrator, I want you to understand how to listen to a client to understand what's actually behind them. So that's what you did for me today is that you got to sit there and be like, oh, this guy just isn't trying to be as good as Invisible Creature. There's a whole other thing this guy's mm-hmm. doing. And I think for me, it is um, extremely like flattering and captivating and whatever when someone sees that, when someone takes the time to see you. And, you know, like that's what I'm kind of trying to find in my life is people that I can see and the people that are taking the time to see me because it takes this other level of, I don't know, for lack of a better term, intellect to get there. And I think that it's an evolution of a graphic designer's life where you'll get there. You'll understand what your graphics are actually doing. Until then, learn how to use the tools, learn how to make stuff look cool. That's all fine. But hopefully your goal is to get to a much bigger place, to understand um, why the Nike swoosh works the way it does. And it's not about the graphic of the swoosh. Good on her for making the graphic. That's great. But it's, it's about what they did with everything else attached to Nike. So I think that's fun. It's just for a graphic designer, I just think... You, the first time I met you was last year um, at Creative Works in Memphis. So that was 2013, wait, 14, sheesh, 2014 Creative Works in Memphis. And you talked about belief. It all starts with belief. And you probably said the word belief a hundred times in your talk and you drove it home. At the end of it, it had to sink in. And once it sunk in, I found myself the next brand meeting I was talking, having this much higher level of understanding about what brand is. And then I start talking about, I start using the word religion a lot more Mm -hmm. when I'm talking about brand. You know, like for for America, there's a Christian religion that you can go to all these houses in the Midwest and they're all abiding by it. They're all on brand completely. They don't realize it, but they got the, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, uh, needlepoint, you know, all that stuff. They're on brand. So if you start understanding that belief, they're on brand because they all read the same book and they understand the same principles. If you can look at it that way, then it makes the brand really fall into place. Mm -hmm. So that's what 
you taught me and you uncovered it because there is a wall between graphic design and branding for sure. And I don't think there's a lot of graphic designers that don't care to see the other side. But once you get into the branding world and once you peek behind that wall, you're like, oh, there's a whole other level to this thing that I'm doing. So obviously that's what you do with Belief Agency. So, and dude, I mean, we have amazing designers here, obviously, yeah. with, with Matt and Ryan. Uh, I'm not a designer. And so the best way I can kind of explain it is going back to more of the film analogies. Yeah. Where like when I was coming up in film, all I could think about is getting a new, like the newer camera, yeah. the latest lenses and all the gear. And now I don't give a shit about it. Yeah. All I care about is story structure. Yep. And it, it's the same problem, to be honest with you, when I do look at some of the designers, like we get portfolios and stuff, and I'll be like, yeah, it's cool. It doesn't mean anything. Yeah, it doesn't There's mean no anything. depth here, right? right? And Same thing with bands. I found the same thing with bands. What are you saying? Mm-hmm. What is your stance? The reason that your song is going to go and fade is because you didn't make any connection with anybody while you're here. You just had a good hook, and that's it. Yep, and the, uh, the best guy I've heard kind of explain kind of the big idea there is, when Tim Keller says like, well, what's the thing behind the thing? Yeah. Right. So you're like, oh, I'm arguing with my wife. Well, what's the thing behind the thing? Pride. Oh shoot. That, that hurts way more yeah. than just an argument because now I have something I have to deal with. Like the process you went through is really difficult. Mm-hmm. Like I've had people say it's like going to therapy or something. Um, it, it costs a lot for you to actually have to figure out why are you alive? Yeah. You know, I mean, it's like I told you with brands where in just advertising marketing in general, we spend 99.9% of our time figuring out how to communicate and 0.1% of the time figuring out what to communicate. Yeah. Like, what's the point? Like, yeah, I get it. The logo is cool, man. But why does it look like that? Like, what's the purpose? What's the big idea you're trying to push forward? Why does anybody, why should anybody give a shit about you or your work? Yeah. Right. And if you can't give an answer, the worst belief session I've ever done was one for one of the largest, let me figure out how to say this, one of the largest, I don't know, do-gooder organization, mm-hmm. non-for-profits in the world. Yeah. And I sat there for two and a half hours with them and they didn't give me one reason why I should care about what they do. <laughs> right. And I walked away and I, I told the rest of the people on the team, I'm like, their organization is going to die. Yeah. Because it's just, all it is is a museum of people sitting around patting each other on the back. They've forgotten like the thing that drove them at the beginning yeah. to want to help all these people or anything like that. And so it's not just about, it's not just about finding that, that thing that gets you out of bed in the morning and why anybody should care. But it's also like, how do you hold on to it? Yeah. You know, because it's great that right now you're fired up and you feel like, okay, I have a little bit more clarity on where I want to go. It's fragile though. But if I talk to you a year from now and you're like, man, screw it. I just went back to the old stuff. I'll be like, that sucks. Yeah. Cause you had the chance to do something nobody else can do. Yeah. Because it was so personal to you. Right. And everybody, everybody's got to have that in them somewhere. They just Mm -hmm. don't want to dig down that far. They don't want to find out why they're actually doing it. Because a lot of the time, the reason that they're doing it is to be as good. You know, LeBron James is trying to be as good as Michael Jordan. I got to believe there's more than that. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I think that everybody's got to look at it that way. Like that you can't set a bar. A bar is fine to just kind of keep you motivated. But the the true motivation, the true goal is deep down inside of you somewhere. And um, I realized for me, it was just sort of overcoming a stigma or overcoming, you know, low expectations that a lot of people have for us just as Americans and vocationally low expectations about intellectual expectations, all that stuff. If you have the power to be creative, 
you also have the power to inspire other people to be creative. And if other people are being creative, you create this ripple effect that makes us better people, period, and makes us more excited and motivated and creative people. And I think that's valuable. Mm-hmm. And I think that's valuable enough to continue recording episodes of podcasts, hearing other people's perspective. I just want, if there's any goal, I want the light bulb to go off for people. There's something more. And if you're having a hard time being motivated, know that everybody is unmotivated and that we every day have to pick ourselves up from that stuff. Every day we have to wake up and get up and get ourselves out of bed and try. And I don't think there's anybody from a designer who's on, you know, a 21 year old designer that just got out of school to Mark Zuckerberg. Everybody has to try every day to get themselves up and to push themselves more. Mm -hmm. And if you can, help people do that, then we're, we're getting better as a human race. But but that that's why the words are so important. Yeah. Because if you don't have the words, all you have is a feeling. Yeah. And that's why even when we use the example of like, you know, the one of, if not the strongest brands in history is the United States of America, right? And yeah. when you look at the, how did they kick off this brand? They wrote something called the Declaration of Independence. How does that start? All men are created equal. Okay, well, that's their core belief. There's no flexibility in that. All men are created equal. What are the repercussions of that belief? It means they have certain inalienable rights. What are the repercussions of that? And that's pretty much the document, right? Mm-hmm. And then they sign it, and you go like, that's how you start a brand. Yeah, You have something you believe in. You have something you're willing to stand for, something that could possibly even cost you your life. Like That's a good reason to go fight in the army or get on a ship and try to come here or like it's because there's something at the center of this thing. Like they very easily could have gotten stuck on the product yeah. and said, we have all this free land. That's why you should come to America or that's why, but, but that's, that's just the product and the project is the product is thin. Yeah. Eventually that land's going to be gone. Eventually yeah. those resources will be exhausted. That's not your differentiation. Your differentiation is what's written down on that piece of paper. And if you don't have that written down, you're going to have a crisis because you're constantly just going to be chasing after emotions. All I know is when I do this thing, when I teach or when I talk about this or whatever, I feel better or I feel more motivated or whatever. And if you can find the thing behind the thing, yeah. oh, it's because of this, yeah, right? Then you can pin that above your desk. So when you do hit those tough patches, which we all hit all the time, mm-hmm. you can go, nope, this is why I'm doing it. It's, yep. a, it's bigger than just me. It's bigger than just my product. It's bigger than just design or film or whatever you're doing. Um, and that's how you start making work that actually means something to people. Because yeah. at the end of the day, it's not, not the hope yeah. of art or whatever you're doing that you'll actually connect with other human beings. Yeah. Um, and how do you communicate, right? What do you communicate? Why should anybody care? But it's freaking hard. It's so hard. It's so much easier to just go to Design Inspiration and just look at a bunch of cool shit yep. and make a mood board and, and say, remake, make something like this. And remake it. And that fulfills for a while because it builds a portfolio and people look at the portfolio and they say, man, that stuff's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome because the stuff that I looked at to copy off is was also awesome. Yeah. But it's that but question. what's your perspective? Right. And, and the question is like, it's like your kid saying, well, why? Well, why? Uh-huh. Why? It's like they're pulling back layers. Like, let's get to the heart of why. Mm-hmm. Like, can we go to uh, get ice cream? No. Why? Then you have to figure out what that is. Essentially, let's but just, it frustrates us. It yeah. frustrates us because, like, don't ask hard questions, right? Because I don't know why. Well, then figure it out. Mm-hmm. And that's what that's what we did today. Mm-hmm. Is we got down to the heart of it. it's like this is actually why I do it, and it clarified it so much for me. Okay, so let me ask you a question about designers. Okay. Because honestly, I don't run into it as much, at least from what I understand you saying. 
most of the filmmakers I know, they, they understand story structure and they understand like each one of these characters has to have a motivation and things like that. So when we talk about this stuff, it usually sounds like we're aligned faster where mm-hmm. it's like, what's the story behind? Like um, one of the, um, my mentors used to run like the st- a studio and stuff. He's insane. Right. And he um, was one of the producers on the TV show mash. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was like, so when you sat down to like run a show like that, how do you write these characters? And he goes, where I start is what is the human condition I'm trying to explore? Yeah. And he goes and they go, okay, so I'm trying to explore, like, how do we heal ourselves? And I'm like, oh my God. And he's like, some people try to heal themselves with sex. And so you needed this character. Some people try to heal themselves by getting people to like them. So you needed this character. Some people try to heal themselves with alcohol. So you need this guy. And all of a sudden, like, all of a sudden, I was like, oh my God. The thing behind the thing was he goes after the human condition. Yeah. He's not thinking, you think it's who about are the characters the, I need to sell in this show? Right. And that's why you make this show that runs for however long the longest in history. But that was just an example. Mm-hmm. And, but when I'm hearing you talk about design, it sounds like there's more of a hesitation to like dig in to the things behind the thing, the thing behind the characters, the thing behind the logo, the thing behind the layout or whatever. Yeah. Why do you think that? Is? Well, at first it's a different scenario for each thing. Um, and I, I've got to this point where I guess like the actual work becomes less. I think you you try to copy other people so much you complicate the actual work itself. And I, and I don't know that people understand that what you want your work to get to, at least this is the way I would like to work today, and I don't all the time. Give me two weeks to think about it, and then I'll do it in two hours. You know what I mean? But if you <laughs> give me the two yeah. weeks to think about it, then, yeah, the two hours is easy. But if I try to do it in two hours right from the get-go, there's no reason. There's no conviction there. There's no, I don't build up any excitement. Because in the two weeks, I'm like, no, I understand what you guys are trying to do right now. So I have, there's this coffee shop in town in Columbus, Ohio. And these girls, they want to make this coffee shop so much more about social justice. They're basically just listing off this laundry list. And I said, no, 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 no. What you are making has nothing to do with coffee. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with reclaimed wood on the walls. You are creating a safe place. And... The logo itself is insanely simple. I'm not going to tell you how long it took me to make the logo. It Uh doesn't matter. It was quick. But the logo works. Once you got there, how easy was it to do the logo? So easy. It's, Uh It's... there's only one option. If you option. didn't have that, what else would you have to be forced to do? I Go look at a other million leg. options. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A yep. million options because, uh-huh. and, and what was cool, I'm working with an agency, um, uh, Serif Creative in, in town in Columbus, which uh, we talked about before. But like what they did, they were my advocates. They're like, no, 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 we're going to go back and fight for this concept because the goal now isn't to create the new logo or whatever and do all these different iterations of the logo. Do you realize we understood your brand? We simplified it down to its core thing is that you are a safe place Mm -hmm. and there's going to be coffee. There's going to be reclaimed wood on the walls. There's going to be hip, cool things, whatever. But that's not what we're doing here. We're being a safe place. So, And then you try to do that as clear as you can. Right. Because that's a huge part of your story there, at least for me, on, on my side as a CD, I'm just always thinking about what I told you, one of our big rules here is clarity over creativity. Yeah. Where like what you're trying to boil that down to is the clearest possible way for me to make an icon that when people see it, they feel safe. Right. right? And that practical side of things makes the, makes the whole thing work. So even like steeples, right? Like why do churches have steeples? Okay. The whole point of the steeple was that when you walk into a town for the first time and you need a safe place, wow, you can great. look at the horizon and go, oh, there's a, there's an image, a steeple with a, a thing on top. I think that's a cross. Now I can see where there's a safe place Isn't to go. Isn't that so funny? We've gotten so far from that. We don't even understand that now. And it was so brutally obvious 
let's make that was this the point. Yeah, let's make this a safe place so everybody in the whole town knows where to go. You're in to trouble. Be safe. Just look on the horizon. You'll see it. I never. I'm 32 and then years you go old. Go to it, that. <laughs> right. But I mean, I'm like, that's more. That's not designed to me. That's just being a clear communicator. Yeah. Right. And I just don't know what's happening. Well, I mean, yeah, I what, really don't know what ego. happened. Ego is what happened. Is there's an insecurity, and we have to make something better than the other guy makes. So if, well, nobody, none of my contemporaries are going to create the Apple logo and say, look how amazing the logo is. But we all know how amazing it is because we've been, um, you know, it's become ubiquitous with everything. So now we basically, we see these cool, hot new trends on Dribble or Design Inspiration or whatever. And we, and we see how cool that agency appears or that designer appears, whatever. And we try to replicate or feel the same vibe or try to catch the same vibe those guys are creating. And maybe those guys have their story. But if they don't have their story, I have to believe we're all basically telephoning the telephone mm-hmm. game from the originator that actually has a story. So what you want to be is see if you can be one of those originators that actually has the story. Because if not... You're, do, you're a copy of a copy of a copy of yeah. a copy. and But to that, to that point... All design sort of is that. Right, but to that point, it's... If you don't have conviction of your own, you have to borrow it from someone else, yeah. right? And borrowed conviction doesn't fucking work. Yeah, totally. Right? And when you look at it, again, even for you going back and fighting for that logo, you're fighting for it because you actually have a place to stand. You're not just saying, aesthetically, this works. You're saying, you, this, is, this is our thrill and this is what we care about. We think people deserve... To have a safe place to go, and so we've created one. Yeah, and this is the clearest possible logo we can do. If you didn't have that, all you could come back and be like, "Well, I studied, and this is literally from an advertising perspective how most work gets done." Mm-hmm. I did ten roundtables, right? And I asked people when they think of safety and coffee, did they think A, B, or C was the safest possible? Whatever, mm-hmm. and everything's done like that because there's no conviction behind what they're actually doing. They're right. just trying to test the shit out of stuff. Yeah, and then everything feels vanilla and dumb. And again, there's no conviction behind the work anymore. But then if you hear about like some of these old school designers, man, and how they would fight with like on the next like Steve with guys like Steve Jobs, they're just I already thought of that. Yeah, I already thought of that. This is the logo. Like, yeah. they can do it because they put so much thought into yeah. every single thing, and they have such conviction. You just go, a guy like Steve Jobs goes, "Well, okay, yeah, right." But and if you have funny. no conviction, how do you even do that? Yeah, and that's what I think. That's what we need to get our you know as designers, we need to get our careers to evolve into is think a lot about it and really just get through all of it. Like it's funny when my wife, you know, like I'm planning on building a shed or something out back, and she's like, "Well, maybe you'll have to." I thought about that. Well, what if what if that doesn't work? I thought about that. I've been building this shed in my mind for the past two years. I'm just it's only yeah. it's going to take me a week to actually do the thing. I've been thinking about it for so long. And if you don't have that preparation, well, here's the problem: none of us get the time to have the preparation. The uh-huh. deadlines are so quick. And for me, working in the merchandise industry, there's no real time to think much bigger than um, red or blue. You know what I mean? And sometimes it just comes down to red or blue. Mm-hmm. And Sure, I would like to just think about the big picture, but I don't always have time to do that. So for me, I have a few opportunities to be like, let's think of the big picture and build a Bible early. Mm -hmm. And then we can revert back to the Bible to remind ourselves what we believe. And then everything else is going to be easy. But we have to react too much. And there's there's a production side to design. And sometimes we have to react. And when we react, we're not making our... We're, I want to say a blanket statement, we're not making our best work, but what you want to get yourself to do is to have the discipline and to have put enough work into it 
where maybe your impulse is still pretty awesome. And so at least the worst thing that could happen, you want to get yourself to the worst thing that could happen is you have to rely on impulse, but know that your impulse is still pretty good. That's the place to get to. I have a question for you. Let's no bullshit question. Um, what is the purpose of design? An easy answer is to inform and delight. Oh, okay. Um, okay, so that reminds me of the best answer I ever heard when somebody I asked somebody, uh, was teaching a class on advertising, and I said, like, what's the purpose of advertising? And he said, his mentor said, he said, is it art or commerce? And he said, his mentor said, it's it's art and commerce, but it's commerce first. Yeah. And the reason the guy was saying that, and this guy was like Ogilvy or some badass, right? Is saying that you have to have both. And I feel like the the it's the same issue graphic design can fall into. It's like it's just delightful. Yeah. Oh, it's fun and beautiful, and I don't know what the hell it does. Right. Or it's just super practical, right? And you just go, I, I want to ignore this because so there's that tension. How do you create how do you keep that tension? Well, I would say inform and delight because it's an old answer. Um, mm. And it's an answer that makes sense. I don't know that my type of design is delightful. Um, it would be more like to in, to inform and um, provoke. So yes. provoke I can is, totally see you choosing the word provoke. That yeah, makes it would a lot be of sense. more like inform and provoke. And for me, but provoke that's my... what? Just a uh, promote in a feeling, <laughs> an intensity. Yeah, uh-huh. um, it's usually it's. I'm never trying to make you happy with uh-huh. my work. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to make you feel something uh-huh. and provoke you into tension. Is really yeah. what it is, and I'm trying to find the tension. And sometimes the tension oh, is trying easy. to find the tension. Trying to find the tension. I'm more not avoiding the tension. Not avoiding it. Why? Like focusing on it because that's the hit, man. That's the the tension is where we make a decision. The tension is where the two seemingly easy concepts merge and then we have to make a quick impulsive decision based on that tension so that's the sound that i like so if you listen to a record like listen to a nine inch nails record or listen to a how to destroy angels there's tense Uh like there's um, a guitar string there's like a block of wood with a bunch of guitar strings in it and they just push things so you're hearing these two odd things like the name of my band was Dead Poetic for a reason. There's tension between the two words. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I'm always fascinated be- between the tension of two things. Death Heaven, the song yeah. Dream House is one of my favorite songs. Yeah. And know. there's this insane tension between the chaos and then the beauty behind it. So you're covered with this hurricane force wind, but there's this beautiful woman behind it with her ar- outreached arm trying to grab your hand. There's something beautiful behind that chaos mm-hmm. that you need to get to. That's the tension. And the tension is, I just want to be able to create a visual representation of the tension. Okay, so going off of that, the tension thing is really interesting to me because so we want to live a life with no tension, right? Yeah. And Godin talks about, Seth Godin talks about this study that happened where they brought in like three-year-olds into mm-hmm. a room. And have you heard this story about mar- marshmallows? So no. they bring in like these three-year-olds to a room and they sit them down and they go, all right, here's one marshmallow. I'm going to come back in five minutes. And if you haven't eaten this marshmallow, I'll give you three. And the funny thing that they found was that the kids who didn't eat the marshmallow when they studied them 15, 20 years later were, were much more successful than the kids that did eat the marshmallow. And the, what they kind of attributed that to was the kids that were willing to sit in the uncomfortable 
feeling, that, that tension of knowing I want to eat the marshmallow, but I'm not going to eat it because in however long, which would feel like an eternity, like totally. I have a three-year-old. Mm-hmm. I, my three-year-old would eat the marshmallow, I would have too. Yeah. But the ones that were able to sit in that tension, that uncomfortable tension, longer ended up from a life perspective doing much better because they could wait. I don't have to eat this right now. Yeah. I will, this reward. And so the tension piece you're talking about is really interesting too. Cause like John Cleese, when he talks about creativity, did this whole thing at Cambridge, like the eighties or something. And it was fascinating. He said that he's going to the brain science of creativity. Right. But he said that he ended up writing more scripts that ran on Monty Python than anybody else. And he goes, and keep in mind, I'm not the smartest one. I'm not the best writer. I'm not the funniest one. He goes, but the difference was we'd be going into the weekend and the scripts would be due at whatever, two o'clock in the afternoon on Monday. Everybody else would rush to get their scripts done by Friday so they could just have it off their plate and enjoy the weekend. And he goes, and my like secret is that I would sit on it. Yep. And I wouldn't start writing until 1.30 on Monday. And he goes, and then you look at the legacy from the legacy standpoint, I ended up having way more stuff run. I ended up having a much stronger legacy. Even when I say Monty Python, who do you think of? You think of John Cleese, right? And it was because he was going, I will be happier if the work is better, even though... It might ruin my weekend because I'm worried about it. Yeah. Right? And, but he's just talking about it's living in that tension and giving your brain enough possible time to just percolate. Like you were saying, it took you whatever, 10 minutes to do the logo once you had that aha moment. Yeah. But I just thought it was interesting you mentioned the word tension because whether it was a kid with the marshmallow or John Cleese or you with design, just to the, I don't know, young designers or the creatives or whoever listening to your show, just going like, that tension isn't a bad thing. Right. Don't, if you start looking at the tension and start going, my job is to get rid of this, you're screwed. Yeah. And great design is usually a combination of two ideas. And so if you take the two ideas, you know, like poster art, for example, essentially it's two things, you know, like um, the small state, all these great poster designers, they're basically taking two elements. They're making, I don't know, hot air balloons into a tape reel. There's two things. So that combination is the tension between the two. So it's a tape reel, but it's also hot air balloons or something like that. So you're finding the two things that can mix. And it's maybe it's not always two or whatever, but I think that even how I operate on my workflow, I work right up to the deadline. Like if something is due on Tuesday, I'm doing it Tuesday every time. And the time... I am not productive. Normally that would scare the shit out of everybody else. You know that. I've done it for so long, it doesn't matter anymore. (laughs) And if I go long, if I like have more time, like say I don't have anything to do, I have a deadline on Wednesday. Like if I try to work on that thing Monday or Tuesday, I'm not going to have the intensity that I would have. But all of that stuff, I don't know if we can use the word tension now, but so the tension that happens on Wednesday, that's a better motivator than almost anything else. Because mm-hmm. if I have time to go walk around outside, if I have time to go get lunch with my wife, yeah, on percolate a, on yeah, it, yeah. I'm going to do that. Like I will work when it is absolutely imperative that I need to work and I do good work at that mm-hmm. time. And I don't really think that if I had more time, it would be better. Now, if you give me, hey, Here's this idea for this. Look, we want you to come up with logo concepts. Two weeks from now is the deadline. Then the best thing for me to do for a logo, this is a different story. Well, actually, any work would probably be best. Make sure I read that brief right away hmm. and really, you know, yep, really right. like take all that in and think everything. Let those images in my head pop in right away. I'm going to let that sit and marinate and percolate, whatever, for the next two weeks. And I'm going to. It's going to evolve, and then the problem will be solved by the time mm-hmm. I sit down to the computer or to my sketch pad. It's going to be done. And I think that the ideal situation for work is give me the time to think about it. But 
I've been able to do so much production that my reactive work is pretty good. I usually call my reactive work my 60%. And that's 60%. I got to make sure I got to do, do enough work that my 60% is still good enough. Mm. The 100% is this elusive thing. I don't know if I ever get there. But I definitely can tell you that there's projects I put 100% thought into. The execution, maybe we're talking about an 85 90% or something like that. But the bigger picture, the broad spectrum, I've got 100% thought going into it all. And that's that's a fun thing. So, But what you mentioned, the trick there that I want to make sure nobody misses it, the first thing you did, the, se- the second you got it, you yeah. read the brief. Right. So again, Cleese goes on to explain, and he's just talking about creativity. How does creativity work? He goes on to explain that... Um, you have to get all the first step is to get everything in your head. Yeah. Like get, get it all in your head. And then you want to sit down and you want to go whiteboard or storyboard out all the bad, obvious ideas. Yeah. Just get them all out of your head. So you got to cram your head with all the knowledge you need in order to do the project. Then you got to go whiteboard it out and get all the bad stuff out. He's like, and then you go for a walk. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Definitely. And then he goes, or I go ride a horse or I go out to dinner with my friends or whatever. And I just let my subconscious just cook on it. Right. And he's like, and then I'll come back and I'll get out some more bad ideas. And then I'll go, you know, and say, you talked about how like Sherlock Holmes would be like, Sherlock Holmes would go play his violin or he would go to the opera or like, you know, all these different things. But it's just like, and he's knowing that he's, his heart, your heart starts pounding and you start going, oh man, it's, it's Monday morning. Yeah. You know, but he's still like, I'm going to have the discipline to just take another walk or whatever, which sounds crazy, you know, because what you think, what we think work is, is sitting at your desk all day, every day and just scribbling stuff. It's more like the training. That's the training. It's like a workout. It's like CrossFit or something. Mm-hmm. Just do that thing. Because the goal isn't to like, I don't know what they do in CrossFit. I've never done it. But the goal isn't to jump up and down a hundred times in like five minutes. The yeah. goal is to be a healthy person. Mm-hmm. The goal is to be able to lift your kid up and not get out of breath or to walk up some stairs and not get out of breath or to not, you know, just to be healthy, period. The goal in life isn't to jump up and down a hundred times. But jump up and down a hundred times on Tuesdays and Thursdays and arms and back or whatever. Mm-hmm. Do that so that when the time comes to actually need to be a healthy person, you're there. So I look at my whole 20s as just the workout, the training. So now the fruits of that labor is when it comes time to execute, my machine's running fine. Mm-hmm. I can execute it. But now what the new thing is in my 30s is making thought more than 50% of the project. Like it's getting to the point now where the thought has to be 75% of thought and then 25% execution. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's the right ratio, but that's what it seems to be. That's where I want to get it. So there's a lot of graphic designers that there's nothing thoughtful about their work yet. And you know, I've worked with people who are just, just ripping off other people. And does the end product look great? Yeah, it looks great. But don't you understand there's no heart there? Yeah. And do you want there to be heart there? I hope you want okay, heart. Okay, so that's the trick. Yeah. Because the whole copying thing um, really used to bother me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd see people ripping off our stuff. Um, but then I actually had to be honest with myself and go, how did I learn how to make films? Yeah. And I had a mini DV camera and I would go out and I would shoot. I'd be like, I'm going to shoot a Truffaut movie. And I would go shoot like five minutes and try to mimic what a Truffaut would do. And then I'd be like, okay, I'm going to try to shoot the next five minute piece I'm going to shoot. I'm going to try to do it as though Kubrick was doing it. Mm-hmm. Next five minute piece, how would Scorsese do this? And I'm learning how to do the triple cut and all this stuff. Yeah. And and so now I don't I don't think about I don't think about that stuff, but what I, what I wasn't trying to do was copy the style so I could figure out how to copy their style. What I was trying to do was figure out how they thought about problems. Yes. Right. And I think the difference was 
And so when I see people like copying stuff, I'm like, I hope that what's behind it is they're just trying to figure out how you're solving problems or how I, me doing it for somebody else or whatever. Like I'm trying to figure out how they're solving problems. Yeah. I'm not trying to figure out how to be them. Um, because the, the magic that kind of happens is when it's like we were talking about industrial revolution, education stuff, right? Where it's about, well, we just need to get people to memorize this, this and this. Yeah. And that was like death to me as a dyslexic memorizing, whatever. But if you look at classic education, where it's more about just teaching people how to think, that just makes more sense. So when people are copying stuff, just realize that like, if you're copying, you should be copying to just to try to figure out how did their brain yeah. think about these problems? Not so that you can t- continue to copy in the future, but so you continue to go, oh, Scorsese would approach the coverage this way. Kubrick would approach it this way. Wes Anderson would approach it this way. I'm going to approach it somewhere in the middle of all those, which is my perspective. Um, but it's all influenced by everything. But it wasn't about just copying a person. It was about... Yeah. I want to crawl inside their head. And even like you talked about, I see right with Don, it's the same thing I've always been asking Don. I was like, I'd love to see Don make some content where we get to crawl inside of his head and not just see how awesome his stuff is. We already know his stuff is awesome. Right. I want to know how, why did you do it this way? How are you thinking about problems? And yep. when you get this brief, like how do you like, that's where the gold is at. Cause he's the only one that has that brain or Ryan or whoever. Right. Like, um, and so I think that's the piece is like, help us learn how to think about problems Versus show me the five steps I need to take in order to be able to make stuff as fast as you do. I think it's interesting because, you know, like just, and I really keep thinking about like something changed when I got into my 30s. I really feel like it was a different thing. And one of the other things that happened is I don't listen to music as much and I'm captivated by podcasts and interviews and stuff because I stopped needing the product and I really want to know the thought process Mm -hmm. behind it. So now we get a look inside that stuff. Like even I watched this interview, um, I forget, I think it's called Off the Record with, I don't know, it's a new thing on cable, but it's this really cool shot thing, the interview with Jack Black. And Jack Black is one of these interesting characters where he just seems like a total goofball, but when you get him serious, you get to see something else behind Mm -hmm. them. You get to, you know, it's amazing when you see these crazy people who are like classically trained actors. But I am so fascinated by the thought process, and I think that that's why I'm so disappointed in copying as a means of design. But... Do you get where I'm going with that? Like if you were mentoring a kid, right? And they're sitting next to you, they're not going to be as fast as you are. Yeah. Right? But if you're like, just watch me do this. Copy how I do this. I would have loved to have that. (laughs) You and me both. I probably would have got... I, it would have been hyper. What, what do you call it in Star Trek? What do you call that? Hyperspeed? Oh, like the, yeah, yeah, whatever. When they Isn't there the, a, yeah, yeah. the word for warp it? Warp speed. Warp speed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I would have warp sped my uh-huh. early 20s, but I didn't. Maybe you didn't. But here's my other thing. Statistically, at least from the stuff I've read, you wouldn't have. Yeah. Because you would have thought that it was normal to have somebody that just sits down and gives away 10 years of knowledge. Yeah. And you would have taken it for granted. I'm not saying you would. I'm just saying that like, we see that happen all the time. Like yeah. we'll bring people in and be like, we see this happen all the time where when folks come in, in here, like young filmmakers come in here and we're like, Hey man, we got these lenses. We got these five D's. We got two red cameras, whatever. Like if you want to do a personal project, you know, go for it. Just take the gear out. No one ever takes us up on it. Yeah. And of course I'm always like, you guys, you can go learn how to do this stuff, man. Just like jump all over this and nobody does it. And yeah. so I do think that's one of those things where, you start building the infrastructure, hoping people do it, and you just hope that you'll find a couple people that take you up on it. Well, they think the fast track is to be able to go back to Final Cut and make the thing that you just made. That's the fast track. The fast track is to know how I think, dude. I'm, I'm giving you a chance to get in my brain and learn how I think. That's the fast track. Watch what happens. So what we did today is you just gave me the fast track to understanding myself and to clarifying myself. So 
if I get to hear Don Clark's um, workflow or see Ryan, how Ryan Clark works, I get the faster track. Now, there's a million ways he could have made the thing mm-hmm. that he made. And I can try all those million ways to make it or even see the way he does it. But if I can get to his thought process, then we're going a lot quicker. But they don't realize that because they want to them point B or the end point they want to get to is making thing that awesome so they can put in their portfolio. It's like, yeah, but listen, if you just like soak it up in the time that you can, you're going to be able to, you're, what is it? It's, um, you're going to, it's a teach a man to fish type mm-hmm. of thing. So it's like you, you, uh, catch him. What did you well, know? Yeah, yeah, totally. But what I'm saying is teach, it's teach a man to think. Yeah. So like, um, Godin talks about this and he you can talking, fix somebody's problem or you can teach them how to solve the problem. There you go. Yeah. That's exactly right. And yeah. so Godin talks about this where he says, I know I'm just talking about Godin, but he's, crazy smart. Godin talks about this where he said he was interviewing, he was talking to Stephen King mm-hmm. and he said, Stephen King goes and he does these like workshops where people ask him questions and he goes, inevitably somebody ends up standing up and saying what kind of, pen, the equivalent of what kind of pencil do you use? Yeah. <laughs> and then it's like, dude, the pencil's not what makes him a great writer. Yeah. Right. What you want to ask him is like, like, how do you think about characters? Yeah. When, when you're sitting down to write you know, this character who, who was in your mind? How are you, how are you pulling together these pieces like that? Like getting how he thinks about problem solving is way more interesting. And that's the reason why I think Hunter S. Thompson sat down his first thing he wrote, he sat down. I think he, he typed, it was warm piece or something like that word for word because he wanted to know what it felt like to write a great novel. Yep. Right. And, and now I've noticed, done something similar to that. Right. Right. Where I just draw exactly like someone else draws. So I understand what that feels like and what there's a tactile emotion as when you follow a line on paper and, and you get to feel what they feel and you get to understand like Massimo Vignelli, he's a typeface designer. He just recently passed away, but I, I cannot get the image of his big white table with a single stack of white paper. It's like computer paper basically. And one black pencil on top of that. So and I and I personally have a really empty office, so I would I'm more influenced by a blank canvas than a bunch of suggestions. Mm-hmm. So I was so captivated by that to be like, so he really just clears out all of the crap, and then when he clears all that out, he's able to have a focused solution to what he's trying to make. So captivated by that, and honestly, I don't care about the thing that he designed. I don't care about the typeface uh-huh. or what. But you, you learned know, a lesson. I learned a lesson, and I don't. I don't need to know how to make the typeface Bodoni. I don't need to know how to do that. Um, what I need to know is how to be a better, you know, I have this book called think like a great graphic designer and that's it. And that's Debbie Millman writes it. There's a plug for that book. Think like a great graphic designer. She just interviews all these graphic designers and, and it's, it boils down to, I teach, I'm teaching you how to think and I'm reading all this stuff about designers. I don't even know what their work looks like, but that's not the point. I'm more inspired by that. I would be way more inspired by a book full of text on how to think like a great graphic mm-hmm. designer than a communication arts design annual with all these suggestions on what to make. Screw the suggestions on what to make. Yeah, and instead of how to be a great graphic designer. Right. And you're like, well, what does that mean? Yeah. How to think like one, you go, oh, it's valuable. Yes. Right. And it's like, there's like the line in um, The Assassination of Jesse James, which like Roger Deacon shot is like the best thing ever. And he looks at him and it's uh, Casey and Brad Pitt and, they're, and, they're, and they looks at him and he goes, I can't figure out if you want to be like me or if you want to be me, mm-hmm. I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting to be like me. I want to be like a lot of people, Yeah. but who you actually should want to be is yourself. Yeah. Right. And but you so, got to figure out who the heck that is. And that's hard and yeah. it takes time. And so I, I'm just saying from a general principle as, as, as we're talking about this stuff is going like, 
yeah, copy the shit out of people, but you don't do it to copy them and continue to copy them. You do that just to try to try on their skin for a minute, just right. like Hunter did. Because if you look at Hunter's work, Fear and Loathing is nothing like A Tale of Two Cities or whatever it is that he copied. Yeah, He was just trying to get, what does it feel like to do this? So now that I understand the feeling and the flow of how a great novel is pieced together, now I can write my stuff. Yeah, the danger is a lot of people never get to the point of, now I can do my stuff. Mm-hmm. The thing is like, I figured out how to make this stuff that was awesome. And now let's take it into like today. And it got 2000 likes on Instagram. So in order to keep building this, mm-hmm. I need to keep making things like that. Feed and that's beast. where we get screwed up is that we think that likes are the end all be all of our career. And whatever gets more likes is the best thing. No, it's not, not even close. And it's not your honest work and it's not going to give you longevity of your career. Just because you can find the trend and do the trend doesn't mean that you're actually, you're not even finding, there is no voice now. So there needs to be more importance, but you know what? I want to say there needs to be more importance on finding your voice, but that's what divides good from great. Mm -hmm. And we'll continue life with plenty of great designers, great directors, great whatever, Uh, or I'm saying good designers, good directors, whatever, but few of us really want to be the great ones. And I, you know, I've got a friend who is in a pretty huge rock band right now. And he was just really frustrated one day. I, was, I said, you understand your frustration is because you have decided that you want to be great. Now, mm-hmm. good is, is easy. I think we all, you know, you get to a point, you learn the tools, whatever. We can all do good. But the great is this lifelong pursuit. Uh-huh. And for whatever reason, that's what I'm choosing to do mm-hmm. is I'm trying to find greatness. I'm, you know, some people are more talented than others. I am slightly above average level of talent, but I want to be great with that slightly, you know, that 6.5 level of talent. I want to be great with that. So I'm pushing myself in all these mm-hmm. different directions, whatever, but a lot of people but, are but just satisfied. But that's your perspective satisfied. though. And so there was, I think it was, I think it was Kurosawa that he was teaching a bunch of film students. I'm sorry, all my references are film references, but no, like, great. he was teaching. A bunch it makes of, my podcast sound so intellectual. Yeah, I love it. But he was teaching a bunch of film students, and he was taking them through story structure. Mm-hmm. And at the end, one of the students was like, "Well, what's the point of making movies again? It sounds like everybody, everything's been done." And he goes, "Yeah, every story structure has been done." He goes, "All you have as a filmmaker is your perspective." Yeah, right. And so, like, that's why it's so important not to find out what your perspective is and to find out who you are as a person. And then go, okay, how do I explain this as clearly and as honestly as well, I can? It boils down to this for me. Everything's been done, but you have not existed yet. Yeah, nobody so, else has your perspective. Right, so you exist now, so what are you going to do while you're here? Mm-hmm. Sure, everything's been done, but I've never really heard your deep voice. Yeah, your I, take on that yeah. exact same thing that's already been done a million times, but it will be different. And that's curious how it's going, I mean, one of the greats, right? And he's going, just remember that like, yeah, story structure. And just like you're saying, like with design, I'm, I'm sure there's a ton of rules, yeah. right? And it's like, yeah, the people have done something. Like, so what, what makes it special is your perspective. So if you lose your perspective, you lose everything. Yeah. And if you don't have a perspective, you don't even have a shot of doing truly great work. I think people don't want to express themselves because they're insecure. And, but they insecure don't realize. About what, like, what do you mean? They're insecure about not being a good artist or something like that. But the insecurity is part of the thing. So take the insecurity. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like for me, I realize that, yeah, I'm insecure, but. What makes me who I am is that I fight against it and pull myself up out and of it. Take the tension you're every about. day. So I'm okay with the insecurity because maybe without the insecurity, I'm not going to push harder. What's worse than being insecure is being 100% confident mm. <laughs> and not thinking that you can be wrong and, and thinking that everything you do is gold. So there has to be that conviction. There has to be the possibility of, 
um, this has to be better because if we think we're at the top of the mountain, then it just we're screwed. Okay, so let me ask you this: designers, again, and I'm using these terms that might not be true. So if you're like call bullshit, call bullshit. Designers remind me a lot of some developers, right? Because I, I, a lot of my friends are developers, and they can like work by themselves, yeah, right. And what I'd be interested to in know. One of the fun things about film, and even we're having an agency like we have, is it's nothing is possible alone. Yeah, it's all community. So like, none of us can take credit for anything. It's always like, well, I mean, Heather wrote that, and Ryan designed that, or Matt designed it, and then Andy shot that, and then Dunn produced it, and like, and that's what makes it interesting to me is this collaborative effort. How important is community, right? Because you were talking about some of the stuff you were just touching on with like not being full of yourself and all this, I just kept thinking in my mind, like that's regulated by community. But for like designers and developers, you can build like this tower and just sit in a tower, right? Like, is that at all important to you? Does that, I don't know, does that question it's, make sense? It's only, it's only important to me because I don't have it. Uh-huh. And so I, uh, as far as productivity goes, which mm-hmm. has been important to me for the past, you know, for, for my career. Oh, yeah. Nobody, you slay that stuff. It's yeah. Pr- productivity is more like, you know, I want to see how much money I can make in a year. Really? Mm-hmm. It boils down sure. to it. I'm challenging myself. Okay. You made this. Can you make more next year? Uh-huh. Challenge yourself. Okay. So how do you do that? You got to be productive. You got to get as much work done as you possibly can. I play the quantity game. I take on as much as I can. So the only way to stay that, stay that productive on the surface is isolation. Hmm. But we all know, and especially if, you know, if there's any church going people, they understand this whole idea too. Isolation makes you a weirdo <laughs> and isolation uh-huh. gets you in your head. Isolation makes you make mountains out of molehills. And the problem is as designers, we need to make mountains out of molehills anyway. We need to um, find the little nuance of everything and blow it up. And, to, and even as, a, as branding, you know, we just got, we just got through finding little molehills and turning them into mountains and figuring out why we actually do it. So it's important for us as designers to find that little nuance. The problem is there's no limit to what we find nuance in. We find nuance in personalities. We find nuance in ourselves. Man, if I'm at 90% happiness one day and then I get to 89 the next day, I am freaking out because what changed? And I just can't deal because I've already done this whole analysis on myself every day on why this is the way it is. I need to tell myself, Brandon, don't do that on yourself. Do that on the project, but don't Uh do that on yourself. And it's really hard to find the line. So what happens, you isolate yourself for so long and then you go back out into the real world and you see these other human beings and you instantly analyze them and every little thing. So yeah, you have 80% of things in common, but you're going to focus on the 20% of things that you don't and just write it off and just decide it isn't. Or even that, you put a big stamp brand on somebody as a jerk just because that helps you with design, it helps you to kind of establish this is what this thing is. Mm-hmm. Let's give it a title, like we said. Well, what happens if you do the same thing? It's like that guy's a jerk. Yeah, but can you still be friends? Well, I said jerk early on, so that's just the way I am because I brand things. Uh-huh. But like, give him a chance. Be like a compassionate human being outside of this. So I am jealous of community, but I don't think I would be able to be as productive if I wasn't isolated. Uh So I have to find that balance of, okay, now there's a time to stop being isolated. The other thing that makes a problem is that I work from home. A lot of people say, it's five o'clock, go have a social life. It's five o'clock, go hang out with your friends. Go to the bar right now and hang out with your buddy. And you'll see him five days a week and maybe six days a week because you guys hang out. Maybe you go to church together, you'll see him on Sunday. Uh You see this dude seven days a week and you still get your work done because you have a time every day that says, 
now go have a social life. I don't have that. Yeah. It's like for me at five o'clock, I'm like, well, I can get this done. Let's get this done. It's six o'clock. I get this done. Seven. Let's get, the, you know, and there's no say, reason oh, to stop. How do you stay? So one of the things that's always been kind of weird to me is I, and Ryan and I were just talking about this. Like, we're like, how do you stay so damn disciplined? Cause you know, the rest of the people in the world say stuff like, you know, I'm going to stop using nicotine today. Doesn't happen. I'm going to do you, 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 I don't know how, like I look at like your work ethic and I look at the stuff you're doing. And I go like, I don't know how the hell you do that. People expect me to be successful. My mom expects me to be yeah, successful. And you got to do it. Um, if I am not, well, not if I'm not successful, I don't want to let my mom down. Dude, I don't okay. want to let my now grandma Now we're getting down. somewhere. Okay, yeah. See, now that's more interesting to me. You know, like, so I became a Christian when I was 13 years old and I wouldn't have been able to keep those basic principles had I not friends that relied on me to be the leader. So I had this pressure and this expectation from my friends to continue to be like, no, Brandon, you have to lead us. You have to, like, you can't let us down. So don't go out and drink. Don't go and smoke weed and don't do all this stuff because we need more from you. And so I have felt that pressure. I was the singer of my band. People had this expectation of my band. They needed me to be something. So if that's the motivation for me to, to stay disciplined, I'll take it. You know what I mean? It, it's like, okay, so I didn't, you know, like I stay pretty straight and narrow throughout my teenage years and, and I have all this pressure. Okay, Jesse, so I just pulled up a quote while you were talking because we're talking about the thing behind the thing, right? Like yeah. you could have given me a shitty answer. How do you stay so motivated? You could have said, well, I have goals. Mm-hmm. And my goal is to get through twelve designs a day. And if I, you didn't, you went, you started there, and then you went to, all right, you know what it really is? I don't want to let my mom down. Yep. That's an answer, and that's, that's what it. I talk about—the thing behind the thing. So this is a quote from Abraham Lincoln. It says, "I'm a success today because I had a friend who believed in me, and I didn't have the heart to let him down." Amen. That's an insane quote, right? Yep. So Nathan Mallon is my friend that I couldn't let down. So Nathan, if you're in Nashville listening to this, you are the friend that I couldn't let down. You're the person who kept pressure on me to be good. And you're the person who, um, I didn't want to let down. And without him, man, I don't do this without him. I don't push myself. Mm. I just be, I just fall in. I just fall in line and probably make the same mistakes. Some of my friends made that sort of really pulled their lives off track. But if it wasn't for a friend that expected way more out of me, I probably wouldn't have made it. Yeah. And, uh, and from awesome. a mom and a dad that didn't expect more, like my mom, my dad, and my brother, I can't let those guys down. They yeah. think the world of me. Like, <laughs> you know, fans of my band, I can't let them down. You know what I mean? Fans of my design, I can't let them down. And if anybody's going to like lead you into battle, I'll do it, Uh you know, and I'm okay with that. And for whatever reason, I'm not afraid to like lead these people because I, I, at least I know that the the leader doesn't know everything. The leader is just brave Uh and the leader is just sort of like saying, I'll do it. And he's just, you know, like, for instance, working out, the hard part about working out is putting on the workout clothes. Once you have the clothes (laughs) on, you're going to go. Uh So it's sort of like, once I appoint myself the leader, I'm going to do it. I'm not going to let you guys down. I'm not just going to quit on you, you know? So, um, yeah, so that leadership is, um, I don't want to let people down. Boils down to, um, I don't want to let my mom down, my dad down, my grandma down. That my grandma thinks, a better answer. my grandma thinks I'm the best human in the entire world. <laughs> I can't let her down. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? But can you see, like, once you find that motivation, how much more motivating is that than just punching a clock or oh, something? Yeah, that pushes so- me through. So this is your podcast, but I've had one question I've been wanting to ask you. Yeah. And because I've never seen it happen before, at least for me. So like if I do this with my friends, right? Um, where I was like, yeah, yeah, we can go through the session and I can, I can help with this, right? I've never one time had somebody actually fly here. <laughs> and what shocked me is when we were emailing about this 
is you're like, you know what, man, I'm just gonna gonna get on a plane, fly all the way to Seattle, right, to do this session, and that shocked me. And I was like, man, Rice coming all the way to Seattle, like he's taking this way more seriously than businesses who pay us a lot of money to do it. Yeah, like I, why, why do you care enough uh, to try to figure out those those drivers to get on a plane and spend the money? I have the opportunity to have a great life. I have there. There hasn't been anything that's happened in my life that is impossible to come back from. I have been very patient and very systematic in the way that I want my life to be. The life that I envisioned for myself when I was 10 years old, I look around at the property that I just purchased a couple years ago. That was, I had to bend over backwards to purchase. But I think about that property and I, I look around, I'm like, I'm doing it. So I cannot let this thing come off the tracks. It has been, I have a too good to be true complex about things in my life where this design career that I've had is so too good to be true. So what I have got to do is my due diligence to keep it going. And the excitement has to be an ingredient. And if that excitement is dying, I'm going to do anything in my power to do that. So the difference between a phone call or a conference call or Skype and sitting down and doing this, I'm not going to get choked up and break down Mm -hmm. um, on the phone. Um, I'm not going to feel the energy of this whole thing. And there's moments like when I think about you and I relationship, it's just a quick moment when we were at that indoor trailer park in Memphis, it was dark. I just got done talking to this girl and I gave her my manifesto and I was trying to, you know, fire her up. And you said to me, you said, that's so amazing that you know it, know that at such a young age, you said that to me. And, you know, I think about your, you're talking all that stuff. But that was the little nugget and that was the moment and the way that the air felt and the darkness of the, you know everything, the way everything felt. Listening to the band Deaf Heaven later that night, it paints this whole thing for me being like, now there's an experience. There's like this orb of experience that is a motivator for me. So if I can go to a different city, get myself out, like the worst thing I could have heard this is in my office, in the monotonous place mm-hmm. that I'm at all the time. I've never been in this office before, in your office here. I've never been in this building. I've never, I've been to Ballard, but I've never been to this spot on Ballard. And there's a feeling that I get in in Seattle. There's a feeling that I got on the plane over. There's a feeling I'll get on the plane going home. I have to force myself into experiences, multi-sensory experiences that are going to remind me of why I do it. So we've come up with words that establish why I do what I do, but also this experience, the feeling, the smell, the sounds, November, whatever it is, all that stuff is going to remind me of this time. So I needed to do whatever I could to make this experience as potent as possible. And does, so, that, does that go to the whole, back to the whole, like, um, you don't want your soul to die piece? Yeah, I need to, there's... You have to you have to get new experiences. Maybe you have to travel. You have to meet new people. You have to push yourself to get those new experiences because that fills your soul up. And man, even if this that soul's only filled up for a week, it's mm-hmm. worth it to do that because maybe the soul was filled up for a week, but the memory of that soul being filled up is also a motivator. So the memory of Creative Works 2014 mm-hmm. is a memory for me. And it reminds me of something. I went to San Francisco in April and there was moments of that San Francisco trip that stick with me. So in order to get out of your funk, you have to physically get mm-hmm. out of the funk. You know, you have to physically get out of your situation, yeah, it you something. experience something different. So it was a no-brainer that I didn't want to do this on the phone. I wanted to do this in person, and I wanted to feel it. And to have, you know, I just sat here today with Ryan Clark to my left, mm-hmm. and Jesse telling me everything, and Heather, like a girl I never met, caring about me and my brand. This is 
I don't get people to like care directly about me. I isolate myself. I don't see other humans, you know? So I don't have those experiences to sit around and see three other people who their main focus for the, for three hours is me and to help me to figure out my whole thing. This is life changing for me. And life changing doesn't always just happen on a whim. You kind of have to put some effort forth to give yourself some life-changing experiences. It's like the phrase making memories. Like mm-hmm. you actually have to make them. You actually have to take your kids to the thing to experience it. You know, you can't just hope that somehow something is going to be remembered forever. It might, but if you go down to Cannon Beach and you propose to your girlfriend, you'll remember that forever, I promise. You know what I mean? And if you figure out those places to really create those experiences, I think it's worthwhile. That's why I've been over backwards to live like at this idyllic house in the woods with this great hill and creek and it's beautiful and all this stuff because this is the setting that I want my life to happen in. I'm taking the effort to say I'm going to make a memory and I'm going to make a place that's idyllic for the memory to happen and all that stuff. And it sounds really like, well, Brandon, you can't have it all. I know I can't have it all, but I am going to try really, really hard and I'm going to put a lot of effort forth to have the best life I can possibly have. I've had, I've been really, really lucky to have a band that succeeded. I've been really lucky to have, well, succeeded to my standards from my little town. Um, I've been very lucky to be able to do what I want for a living. I know how lucky I am. What I don't want to happen is for that passion and the realization of my, of how lucky it is and the excitement of being so lucky. I just can't let that die. So I will we'll go take to, it for granted. Right. I'll go to the ends of the earth to fix mm-hmm. it. And that's crazy. I just went I, I to just the, never seen it before. I just went to the uh, Northwest corner of the country <laughs> and that's, <laughs> that's, it wasn't the end of the earth, but it was the end yeah. of the country. Well, it's awesome. I just haven't seen it. I was just wondering. Yeah, man. Well, thanks for talking. Sure, man, and thanks for everything Anytime. you did for me today. Like, it was three hours of talking, but I think it's life-changing for me. And, you know, I'm going to have to unpack it and digest it on the flight home. But there's going to be a light bulb that just pops up over my head when I'm flying somewhere over Iowa yeah. um, on the way home. So thank you. Awesome, for that. man. Happy to. I'm glad you were here. Graphic sound was created by me, Brandon Reich. You can find me at Brandon Reich on all social media and on BrandonReich.com. This episode was produced by myself and Brian Skeel of ChrisGrandMastering.com. Theme music by The Hands of Stone. Title intro song remix by my good friend Jesse Kale, at Jesse Kale on Twitter. Music used on this episode included Dry Air by Poddington Bear, What True Self Feels by Chris Zabriskie, and this outro song Heebie-Jeebies by Graham Bowl. Learn more about what Jesse Bryan does at beliefagency.com. I mentioned the book, How to Think Like a Great Graphic Designer by Debbie Millman. It's one of my favorites. Pick it up. If you're enjoying this podcast, please do me a huge favor and leave a review on iTunes. It helps people find the show. And honestly, it encourages me to keep this whole thing going. You can find more info on this podcast at thegraphicsound.com and join the conversation by liking us on Facebook at facebook.com slash thegraphicsound. Thank you for listening and listening. Don't let them kill your soul.